0: Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. My name is Bruce Wood, and I'm on staff here as one of the associate pastors. Once again, happy Father's Day, Dad. This is a fun day. I've I've been traveling over the past eight days for work. And I just got home last night, kind of late, and so I didn't see my kids. I was expecting that I wasn't going to see them until after church today. Uh, but this morning, I was getting ready, and my, my son who's my middle child. He's three years old. He woke up early. He opened the door, and he saw me. He's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here right now. So he came in, and we got to snuggle on the couch for a little while, uh, just for a few minutes before I came out to church. But uh, I'm excited. It's Father's Day, and I'll get some time to spend with my kids. I have, uh, I have three kids and one on the way, uh, and my family and I, we've, we've been trying to make the most of this summer already. We're, we're partway through June here, and we are trying to make the most of it. We were able to enjoy some time with friends at Knott's Berry Farm a couple weeks ago, and I took my, my three kids there for the first time. And Camp Snoopy is a pretty magical place if you're only 42 inches tall. So <laughs> my, my, my son and my daughter, my daughter's six, they, they loved it. They had a great time. But the outing wasn't without incident initially because I managed to drive in the morning. We we're going out in the morning. I drived all the way to Knott's Berry Farm before I realized that I left our prepaid, pre-printed tickets in the kitchen. So it's about an hour away if you're driven to Knott's from here. And so the way this whole thing played out was we drive down. Everyone's excited. We're like singing songs in the car. We're in our car seats and everything. And I get to Del Taco just right outside the park. We're going to fuel up before we go in. And I was paying for the food. I was like, oh, I should keep my wallet out. I'm going to pay for parking in a second. And uh, I had some cash set out. I was like, oh, yeah, I put the cash next to the tickets. The tickets! No. <laughs> and just instantly, I did the math. I was like, okay, it was an hour to get down here. That means if I'm going to get this thing, it's an hour to go back, and then we're going to have to drive an hour back. So we're talking three hours of drive time with kids in the car so he's ready to do this thing, not including the two hours it took for us to get ready to get out the door the first time. And so I, I'm, I'm frustrated. I was like loose and breezy. Now I'm like mad and irritated. I'm throwing french fries at the kids, and my wife is getting mad at me, and, and I'm thinking... This is, this is frustrating. I, I, I'm already thinking, are we too far gone? They're like, should I just call it now? We're going home. We're, we're going home. We're going to watch TV, and that's it. You know, like, what, what, how far away would we actually have to be until we reach the breaking point of, if we we're too far gone, and it's not worth making the return trip? And, and I know about myself. I was just thinking, you know, once, once the emotions blew over, I was thinking, if someone else forgot their tickets, because we went with a bunch of friends, uh, it would have been really easy for me to say, you forgot your tickets. <laughs> like, how would you do that? But, but here it was. It was me. I'm the one that forgot the tickets. And, and, and the funny thing was, when we were leaving Riverside the first time, uh, I, I was, we were sitting in the car, and I was, you know, sometimes when we go on little trips, I like to pray and ask for God's help and protection. And I, I prayed this. I said, you know, ask God to help us make the most of any value-shaping opportunities that would come up or any attitudes or emotions in my kids. That would get addressed. Turns out it was Daddy who needed the, uh, the adjustments on this one. And so we, we got, there was a lot of emotion in this. But during this family adventure, I asked the question, are we too far gone? And so this morning, today, we're going to look at a story in the Bible that addresses a similar question, uh, because today we're, we're launching a brand new series called Stories to Live By. And, and over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different stories in the Bible. And, and in fact, you're going to hear from... Uh, a few different men in our congregation uh, touching on different stories. And so I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this series because everyone loves to listen to a good story. And whether, whenever I listen to someone, whether it's a pastor or a, a teacher or professor or just anybody speaking in public, the things that I remember most often are their personal stories. And, and some of the very best stories that you listen to are the ones that you can connect with personally, that you relate to. And so years and years and years ago, thousands of years ago, when Jesus actually walked among us in bodily form, he used memorable stories to communicate life-changing truth. And, and Jesus, he could have spoken exclusively in terms of, of do's and don'ts and, and just rigid guidelines, but his communication style was a lot more engaging, and it was dynamic, and it was much more interesting than all that. Sometimes even confusing. And, and it caused people to think and wrestle through things. And Because sometimes, and Jesus knew this, Sometimes a good story gets the job done better. And so in the Bible, the stories of Jesus are called parables. Uh, And more than just being entertaining and and engaging, Jesus' stories or parables uh, had very important truth blended right in. In fact, we have over 40 of his parables recorded in the the Gospels. And some of them are are repeated multiple times throughout uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so basically you get the idea... Because he used this method of communication so often, it's clear this was an important way for people to grasp truth. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four highly practical stories. And if we embed the truths of these stories in our hearts, it has the power to, to radically impact our lives. And so when Jesus was, he was living and, and, and walking and working among us, he had his core followers. He had, he had his guys there were 12 men that spent a lot of time with him, trying to soak up and learn as much from him as they could. They're called the disciples. And so in Matthew 18, we, we come up on a story here where the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is a question I often wrestle with. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Or who's greatest here now? Uh, I want to live a significant life. I want my time on earth I honor it to be worthwhile. when I get to the end, I want to look back and say, like, I want to have God say, yeah, it was, worth, it was worth giving you bread. And when I look over my life and what I've produced, I have a strong pull to tie my value as a person to what I've produced. And that in some way, what I've accomplished, I'll be able to measure up, uh, based on what I've accomplished, I will give myself a score, some sort of rank, and, and I want to know who's the greatest, how do, how do I land on the zone, on the leaderboards, on the world charts. And, uh, and so like the disciples, I'm wondering this question, who's going to be the greatest? But it doesn't stop just there. In, in asking who's the greatest, I also experienced a strong pull to rank other people. And, and if all I did was just evaluate myself, that would be one thing. But I struggle with examining what other people have done and accomplished, or what people don't do, or what they don't bother to accomplish. And I start ranking them, too. And, and, and if there's a greatest, then presumably there's a, there's a, a not-so-great, or there's a totally not-great, or an, an insignificant person, or, or maybe there's a, a worst, or maybe there's somebody that's just, they're just too far gone. They don't even make it on the chart. Maybe there's this scale. And, and, and we, we, we wrestle through this, and I think this was at the heart of the disciples' questions. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? How, where do I land on this chart, on this chart? And remember, these are Jesus' core guys. I mean, these are the men that are going to be entrusted to carry the message of God and the culture of Jesus Christ around the world. And here they are, sizing each other up. They're looking around. They've got the measuring tape out. They're, they're, they're categorizing and ranking. And church back then and church now we, we get to interact with a lot of people in very different stages of life in their walk with God. And, I mean, even in this room, there's a, there's a lot of people here with a lot of different backgrounds. In fact, the body of Christ at large is made up of people who have a varied understanding of what does it really mean to walk in obedience to God. We get to interact with people that have been walking faithfully with God for years, and we get to interact with people who are pretty inexperienced at it. And, and so without realizing it, we mentally... Just drop people into baskets and get ca- into categories. And maybe we see some people, these, these people are useful and helpful. And these people, they're, they're negligible. They're, maybe they're insignificant. And, and we do this even with people at church. Uh, other brothers and sisters in the family of God. Particularly if someone stumbles or sins. Or someone offends us and, and makes life difficult or, or in, in, infringes on, on my comfort or my abilities. And it causes problems and frustrations for me. Some people, it's just, it's just so bad that they just seem too far gone altogether. And knowing that this struggle is in the hearts of his followers, Jesus responds to this question. So they ask him who's the greatest, and they ask, you know, who's, so basically who's, who also is the worst. They don't say that, but, you know, they want to know what the scale is. And as you can imagine, Jesus has a lot to say on this topic. And so he responds from a few different angles. One of the things he says is, "See that, see that you do not despise one of these little ones." And so, little ones uh, is a reference to children. He's using some imagery from earlier on in his discussion with with the disciples. And uh, it, this is it, little ones is, is imagery, but basically, essentially, what he's talking about, uh, little ones are, are other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Essentially, he's saying, "See that you do not despise one of your fellow Christians." Don't despise one of your fellow Christians. The other word that stands out to me when, in the statement is the word despise. And to me, that seems like a pretty strong word. I mean, uh, despise seems like something you'd find in the script of Despicable Me. I mean, it, yeah, I was I was thinking through that word. I, I, I just glossed over it altogether. I tried to dismiss it because I can't remember the last time I thought I just despise that guy. Ugh. You know, I I, it, I wasn't I wasn't connecting with it personally. But just the, then, for good measure. I checked the word in the dictionary. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm reading the Bible, I'm not sure exactly what, what's being getting I just look up the definition. So here's what despise says. Uh, and there's a spectrum here. It could be lack of respect for someone as a person. Uh, despising, it could be to look down on others. Or, and it gets more intense here, to regard others as negligible or worthless. Or, even more intense, to feel repugnance or intense disgust for someone. And so, this word despise that Jesus is using here, that I was trying to gloss over, there's a spectrum here of intensity. And as I, I was, as I was reading these definitions, I felt very strongly in the moment that God was saying to me, You do these things. And just as quickly as I had that thought, faces came to mind of people that I've had these feelings and attitudes towards. And instantly I thought, Oh, Lord, you are right. You're right. I could maybe fool myself on this one, but I know I can't fool you. I, can, I confess right now, as I'm reading this definition, I confess that I have actually despised people, even fellow Christians, by entertaining these kinds of thoughts, entertaining these thoughts towards people. And this is ugly stuff, okay? This, this, this gives you one shade of the bleakness of the human heart. And I think this is a common struggle for many of us. I think this is why Jesus used such direct, striking language to cut directly to our hearts, to the deep things that we deal with. And, and there's a variety of ways. This attitude of despising people, it comes out and it gets expressed from our hearts in different ways. It, it, could, be when, it could just be expressed when you have a hard time looking at somebody in the eye when you talk to them because you don't respect them. Or, or when we're smiling on the outside, but the on, on the inside, our emotions are churning and I'm frustrated. Or, or there's just certain people that, that we feel stiff around, just like a board. And we're relating and I feel stiff. Or uh, when they leave, spouses exchange demeaning comments about that person and just kind of cut them down. Or, or when we watch, the, you know, for someone we despise, if we watch them receive something good, you know, maybe a privilege or some special opportunity comes to them or an fi- unexpected financial blessing, we see them receive something good and it doesn't sit well with us. They should not have gotten that. Or, or something bad happens to them. And we think, you know what, they had that coming. That, that's about right. And it maybe even have a trickle of gladness that justice was delivered. And these, when, when we're despising people, when we're, when we're caught up in this cycle, these are the people that we just mentally discount. We write them off. We dismiss them. And, and, you know, they're just negligible. Well, you would never actually say out loud, you'd never use these words, that's a worthless person. But we think they're too far gone. And I'm going to admit right now, I don't like this about myself. When I'm stuck in this cycle, I ask myself, well, why do I get so worked up? Why do I care so much about what they're doing or what they're not doing, what I think should be done? Why do I care so much? When, we, when I see something really good happen to somebody that I've dismissed, I've tossed out an insignificant basket, and, I, and something good happens, it twists me up, it eats away at me. And, and, and this, this despising, it, it, it causes there to be a poison, a corrosive poison inside of us. It eats away, it causes tension and stress and frustration. It's just a slow, corrosive poison on the inside that burns us up, and we can't escape it because we can't change people. I can't make choices for anybody. I may think I can, I think I can make you do something. I can't, I can't change anybody, I can't make choices for them. And, and that's just because people are going to do what makes sense to them. People are not always going to do what makes sense to me. And, and it could be my spouse, it could be my kids could be relatives or co-workers. And this is a tension that exists in many of us. And because it's difficult to face, and because it's difficult to, to find the solution, Jesus used a short, memorable story or parable to teach us. And so he goes on to say, "What? So what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away... And, and so right here, he's setting up this story. He's drawing a parallel between the people of God and a flock of sheep, where God our Father is the shepherd. And already you may be familiar with this parable if you've been around the Bible a little while. Uh, this is the parable of the wandering sheep. And, and what's interesting about this parable in particular is that Jesus told this story twice, but he applied it to two different contexts. And my guess is if this parable is familiar for some, it may be that you're familiar with the one in Luke's gospel, Uh, but what we're going to find here in the Gospel of Matthew has some very helpful implications for us today. And so in this parable, we, of course, are represented by the sheep. And sheep need shepherding because they're sheep. And people need God's guidance because we're people. We need God's wisdom. We need God's protection. We need the sustenance that only He can provide. And we were totally designed to thrive, under God's incredible guidance and oversight. And the other observation we make from sheep, even from this from this verse, is that sheep are prone to wander. Says a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. Nobody's surprised by this because that's what sheep do. It's in the nature of sheep to be easily distracted. It's in the nature of sheep to be quickly seduced by the lush green just beyond the borders of the fold. It's in the nature of sheep to be to blindly follow another wandering sheep. And so the people that we're quick to despise very often are people that have wandered away. Because of the sin that lives in every side of, inside of every one of us, we are prone to wander outside of, God, of God's protective instruction. And we tend to be influenced by people who are no more capable of guiding themselves. And so it may be that we're inclined to despise other people because they've sinned. We despise them because they've stumbled, or they made poor, foolish, damaging choices. And and they've in some way wandered away from what is good. They've wandered from what is true. And it may be that they're impacting us in some way. That through their sin, or their personality, or their something about them, that, that that's where the rub comes from. When people get off track, it usually impacts the people around them in a negative way. And that's frustrating. And that that causes a rub for us. And in spite of this, Jesus, he goes on to say, man owns hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And you can see an artistic rendering of this parable there on the screen. This verse shows God as the shepherd in pursuit of his wandering sheep. And in fact, the way it's worded, the the way I kind of read it, it it seems like a no-brainer. You know, isn't it obvious that God would be in pursuit of his own sheep? I mean, how could we possibly think that he would do anything else? You know, we write people off. We dismiss them. We count them as a negligible loss. But the God of the universe goes after them. We say they're too far gone. But not God. And in verse 13, it says, And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And here in this verse, we see the incredible reflection of God's love for his children and the joy that he has for us. What an incredible comfort to know that any stumbling believer who repents and returns will find a father in heaven who is overjoyed. Isn't it interesting that that he has greater joy? This verse says he has greater joy for the one that returned than all the others that stayed put. And this raises questions for us. You know, how how is that the case? Well, what's happening is that God's love is not diminished in any way uh, in this situation. In fact, there there was one day I drove home with my kids. We were in and out. We just did some fun things. We came back and I parked the van and my son unbuckled them. He hopped out and my daughter was in her car seat still. And she was like just sitting there kind of looking down, uh, motionless, looking pensive, and I was like, that's not, that's unusual. She usually just hops right out, too. And so I got in the back seat, and I sat down, and I looked in her face, and I was like, are you okay? And she burst into tears. And I was like, whoa, what just happened all of a sudden? I, I know far less about girls than I realize. <laughs> What's going on here? So I started asking some questions, and, uh, and, and after, after a few minutes, she, she launched into a story where she lied to a friend. And they, they were talking about some TV show, and they asked, hey, have you seen that show? And she was like, oh, yeah. And she had she'd never seen it. She didn't even know what it was. And so she lied to be cool. And so we talked about it, and, and eventually she confessed it to God, asked for his forgiveness. And then we made a plan to get it cleared up. And so she did, and then she did that. She, she got it cleared up with her friend. And that day, my heart was overjoyed for my daughter because her heart had wandered she sinned. She did wrong. She's, she did what God said you must not do. And because of that, she was feeling it. She had the conviction from the Holy Spirit. That's why her head was down and she was sad and in tears even. But she confessed and she got clean and she, would, and she too experienced God's joy. And she was able to experience God's incredible grace through repentance. In that moment, that day, my love for my other children was, was not diminished. It didn't affect my... I did not love my son or my other daughter any less that day. But I I truly was joyful. And I was eager to share that story with my wife and, and tell others about repentance and grace. It was so exciting for me to see that happen. And this is why God is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 who stay. In the next verse of this parable, Jesus says, In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And the word perish, as it's used here in this verse... It doesn't refer to total destruction or loss. Because the people of God, and I'm talking Christians who have established Jesus as their Lord and have determined to follow and obey Him, they are never at risk of total permanent destruction. But what the parish is talking about here is the fact that we, we Christians, we can stumble. We do. We, we sin. We wander so much that we render ourselves as unuseful to the church. We can even slow and stop our spiritual progress altogether in the Christian life. And so this verse indicates that God, our Father, He does not want a single one of us to be spiritually wounded or marred, even for a brief time. And so like the shepherd who searches for the lost sheep until it's found, God will see to it that every one of His children will be brought back eventually, eventually, into His fellowship with His family and His kingdom. And what this means that, what, what this parable means for us is driving and mounting to this huge conclusion that no one is too far gone. No one is outside of God's reach. No one is outside of God's reach. We do all this ranking, assigning value and categorizing of people, dropping them in baskets here and there, and yet no one is outside of God's incredible, gracious reach. Is there any heart that has wandered too far? Is there any sin or stumbling or wandering? that puts us or anyone outside of God's reach. I mean, this if this is true, this gives us a brand new lens for viewing people with. And, I mean, do you, can you believe that this is true? And as you're thinking about these people in your life, can, can you believe that none of God's children are too far gone? And, and you might be asking, what about the people who do unthinkably wrong things? And, and, and I want to be careful here because I know There may be people that have sinned against you in awful ways. Even Christians, or people that call themselves Christians, or people that may be brothers or sisters. We are capable of severe, awful wrong. And there are situations that call for us to respond to these people with wisdom. The Bible has numerous instructions about what to do, how to respond to brothers and sisters that do wrong to us. In fact, some of those instructions are found in Matthew 18, further after this parable. But what's happening first, what Jesus is driving at in this parable is the attitude of our hearts when he says, see that you do not despise them. It is the attitude of our hearts that Jesus is driving after when he says, see that you do not despise them. And so the focus of this parable really is on the humility required of the 99 as they look on those who do wrong. No one is so far gone that they are outside of God's reach. He is the creator of and the designer of the entire universe. He created me, and you, every person in this room, in Riverside, in California, the U.S., the world. He's created every person. And he is able to recapture the wandering sheep in the timing and the method of his choosing. So after hearing this parable, the disciples are now facing the reality that they're at risk of being more concerned about their own reputation and their own position and their own comfort than the needs of the people right around them. Remember, their original question was, who's the greatest? You know, who's who's the greatest and and who's the worst? We want to know. Uh, Jesus' answer to this question is that those who are great are humble and can see others the way that our Father sees them. Because it takes a lot of humility. I know it takes a lot of humility to move past the place of despising and get to compassion. It takes a lot of humility to see the value in other people. And to support the shepherd in going to find the lost sheep, that takes humility. And so again, the disciples here in this situation, they're at risk of being more concerned with their own position, their own reputation and comfort, than being than with the needs of the people right around them. They're at risk of being unforgiving. In their pride, they just blow right past the step of compassion and forgiveness for those who stumble in sin. I was recently assigned to jury duty uh, for a criminal case here in Riverside a few weeks ago, and I, I actually got on the jury, and, and it truly was one of the most interesting experiences of my year, uh, getting to see the, the inside of the, our justice system and be a part of that, and when you, when you first get on the jury, they ask you a lot of questions, they try to find out about you, the attorneys do, and so I had identified myself as a pastor, and so later in the week, one of my fellow jurors came up to me on a break, and he said, I've got a question for you. <laughs> he was like a big burly railroad worker. And uh, he, he was a, an older gentleman. And he, and he said, I, I've got I've got no problem with God. I've got a problem with religion. I've been to all kinds of churches over the years. And every time I go in, I start talking to the pastor and the people. And every time at the end of the day, they always tell me, get out. I was like, this is not going to be a short conversation. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. I was like, let's get lunch. So uh, we're on break. We got, I was like, we, we, we got some tacos at that stand right next to the courthouse. And uh, so we talked. We talked for a while. And he told me more about his story, his experiences, even way back as a young person, going to Vietnam, all kinds of experience, things he wasn't proud of. I shared some of my stories, too. We were just kind of dialoguing. And after hearing some of the things that he went through and, and some of the emotions that he was exhibiting, I told him, you know what? And I don't even know if he's a Christian or not, or where he stands specifically. But I said, you know, there's a lot of grace from God for the things that you've been through. And I I told him this parable, because this was fresh on my mind, and I was preparing for this. And and so I told him about the parable of the wandering sheep, and about God's happiness to go and find the one that wandered away. And that God can and will recapture those who wander away from him. And when I I finished the parable, he replied, yeah, but then you have to come back to the ninety nine. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know what your experiences were. I don't know what churches you went to. I don't know what those conversations were like or what you told them or, or how things played out. I don't know. But it did make me wonder, what if there was a permanent no return line that a person could cross? That a person could, could, could sin so much or get in a jam so bad or make such poor, foolish decisions or, or, or wander so far that they were truly too far gone. What if there was a way to become unreachable? What would those people experience from the church? What would they experience from us? We who are the 99. What would they experience? And the response we must say again and again is no one is too far gone. No one is outside of God's rescuing reach. And what this means for us is that it is unthinkably wrong for us to despise or look down on anyone whom God so highly prizes. And God highly prizes each of his children even if we struggle to see the value in them. And as I spent time studying this parable, getting my mind around this, my, my heart began softening for the people right around me. And that God was helping me to develop compassion, even sadness, for people who, who for many various reasons, wandered away, God distracted, stumbled into sin, chose sin, and are living now with the consequences. I realized that God intends to go after those people in His method and His timing And then something dawned on me. I was thinking about all this. I was sorting through the passage. I was wrestling. And then it dawned on me that God came after me. He came after me. I have been the wandering sheep. And not just once. How many times have I needed God's rescue in my own chosen sin? How often have I intentionally wandered away from his protection, from his guidance, from his instruction? There are many places to get trapped and ensnared. I know that. I've been walking with God for years, and I know what it's like to get trapped in discouragement. I know what it's like to get caught in addictive sin, to struggle to see the way forward to light and to goodness and to wrestle. Do I actually want to do that? To battle my flesh and my destructive desires and even give in to them. I know so many times God has come after me. How amazing it is and how repetitively he's done this. How often he's done this in my life. No one is too far gone. Not even me. I have never wandered so far that I was outside of God's reach. And I love verse 13. If he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. This brings me tremendous encouragement to know how joyful God is to bring me back. Understanding Jesus' parable about the wandering sheep will have a huge impact on the way that we see and treat people. He tells us, make sure you do not despise them. And so there's a few ways we can can respond to this. There's a few ways we can do this. This truly is a story to live by. So how to respond with humility? There's a few ways to respond. One is to choose sadness over anger. I'll be the first to admit, I find it much more natural to feel anger towards people who sin and stumble and wander, particularly because their sin and choices impact me negatively. So I'm angry now. I'm frustrated. But feeling sadness and compassion is actually a choice. Did you know that? Sadness and compassion, that's a choice. Most people go through their life just assuming emotions are things that that happen to us, that you don't have any control over them. I'm angry, and it's, well, it's too late now because I'm angry, and that's just what it's going to be until I don't feel angry anymore. You know what I'm talking about? So we choose which emotions are allowed to be expressed. In fact, the Apostle Paul did this. He wrote a letter to a church of people who were in a world of sin. All can, they had gone so far off track, any one of us would, would, would point a finger at them. And it, so he told them in 2 Corinthians, For I wrote, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. They were caught in sin, and he could have despised them. He could have come down. And, and this truly was, it was a corrective letter that he wrote. But you get the emotion that, he's, that he has here, the level of sadness that he felt and expressed on behalf of those caught in sin. And so when we interact with people, or when we think about them, anger comes from the thought, they're affecting me. And that's frustrating. Their choices impact my life. But sadness comes from the fact that I'm distressed about the damage of their sin. It's impacting them, and it's impacting the people in their life. And that's awful. And so choosing sadness over anger helps us to refuse hardness of heart, which is something we have to constantly watch out for. Choosing sadness allows us to battle our pride when we say, I'm better than that. I wouldn't have made that choice. Because it's easy to forget how many times God has come after us. Another way to respond is to pray for them. Praying for them gives you our Father's heart. We can pray for God to bless people, and for him to rescue them from their wandering, you can actually pray for this parable to occur in their life. And and when you pray for someone, you are actively working for their good. You're you're actively trying to make good happen in their lives. And so this is a way to compel your heart in the right direction and and fight some of those emotions. And many times, one prayer is not enough. You may pray, Lord bless them, but I'm still mad at them. (laughs) And so you may have to pray again and pray again, and then routinely pray for them and pray good and blessing for them. Then finally, one other way to respond might be to serve them in kindness. Sometimes we're just mad because they're not useful to us. They're blocking my goals. But on the flip side, I can just choose, hey, I'll serve them instead. I'll be useful to them. We can provide support for what they're dealing with. We can help them. We can celebrate the good things that happen to them. We can sit with them when bad things strike and even endure with them if possible. So, right now, I'd like to invite the worship team to come back to the stage, and our team will prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. But think think this through. As you're thinking through the implications of this passage, it may be challenging figuring out, how do I work this in? And a lot of these relationships, there's a lot of emotions bubbling under the surface. How do you deal with this? How, how, How do I work this into my life? And Jesus is speaking directly to the core of what we routinely experience with people. So, as the next step, you might consider circling one of those responses above and, and write someone's name there. You know, think through what, which one of these responses do I need to do this week with somebody? Or another next step you might be able to do is to do some further study on the back of, this, on, on the back of your handout. Uh, there's some verses listed there. And, and this parable, as helpful as it is, it only gives us one angle on how to respond. The truth is the Bible is a treasure trove of wisdom and guidance and help. And, and Scripture offers so much more help as we battle in this area. So there's, there's just a few more verses listed there that, that can help you zero in on the taking the steps towards humility that's required. And actually, if you determine to do any of these things, if you say, I'm, I'm going to pray for them, I'm going to choose sadness over, over anger, I'm going to help them, it's going to be difficult. And it's going to take a long time. And there's going to be many opportunities to practice it. But could you imagine, just imagine with me for a moment, what would it be like if you were free from the anger and the frustration that comes from being wrapped up in what people are doing and what they're not doing and what I think they should be doing? What if you were free just to not look down on people? What if you were free, emotionally free from, from the burden and bitterness of sour relationships? I don't want that. The more that we're able to pray for people and to serve them, you can influence them for good. In fact, as you relate with others over time, you begin to realize people don't care what you know until they know you care. You, you begin to relate with people and you probably experienced this yourself. You don't care what you know until they know you care. And it's an incredible joy. God gives us blessings when we're able to influence people for good. But we can just block our own ability to serve and to lead people if they don't have the confidence that we genuinely care for them and demonstrate it with tangible examples. And what's even more amazing than that is that God, our Father, is tender and joyful. We can join our Father in His happiness for people, especially when they repent and turn to Him. Because no one is too far gone. No one is outside of His rescuing and reach. Imagine being a part of the 99 who remain. A group of happy, rejoicing people, welcoming others back from, from their sin and their wandering. God longs to be gracious to us. He's just waiting. He's waiting for us to turn. And He will show us kindness. And we can experience the joy that comes from being like Him. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your love. It is mind-boggling. The way the, the and the number of times that you come after us, you redeem us, you cover our sin, you welcome us back with joy. And I'm so grateful Thank you for rescuing me over and over again. Pray that you would help us to, to turn and, and respond like you, Lord, to, to see the people around us the way that you see them, to extend compassion and help and prayer. To you help us to identify each of us, those relationships in our life, where, where this needs to be demonstrated and applied. Thank you for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.